it's probably a common desire for most of us to want to start off a new year in a good way. And maybe this is true of you. Um, Maybe you're wanting to start the year off by uh, checking off some goals. You want to read some more. You want to clean out that overstuffed closet. You want to spend some more time with fill in the blank, a a friend or a family member. Um, You know, I'll admit I, a couple of weeks ago, had visions of doing things like this, of starting off the new year right out of the gate and get right after it. Um, But the Lord had different plans. For my wife and I, we we kicked the year off with fevers, a trip to the doctor, and a handful of medicines. It wasn't quite the way that I wanted to start out the starting gun of 2024, but it certainly was a, a dose of reality. And the reality is that things don't always go as planned. And the reality is that things aren't always as great or as good as we want them to be. And so the reality is this, and I thought this would be fitting to start off this coming year um, in this text with this message this morning. The reality is this, the thing that we need most as we start off a new year is a good word from the Lord. Isn't that true, brothers and sisters? The thing we need most is a good word from the Lord. We need to hear from him. We need the Lord to speak to our hearts, to encourage us, to give us strength, and to just speak a good word to us. We need a fresh reminder of the love that God has for us in Christ. We need a renewed anchoring of our souls to the assurance and the comfort that is Jesus Christ. So our, our text today will do this very thing. It, it both demonstrates and it will also describe for us just how profound the love of Jesus Christ is for us. You know, we might sometimes easily let that idea of God's love for us in Christ remain in kind of that general way of thinking about it in love. But then there's other times that the text will do for us today, it will really drill down into some very specific layers or nuances, if you will, that show us just how profound Christ's love is for us. So I trust as we journey together in this text this morning, we will begin this new year with a good fitting, helpful word from the Lord today in the book of Acts. If you're here today and you're doubting the depth or reach of God's love for you, a sinner, or you're feeling alone in some form of sorrow or suffering, and you're wondering what level of care Christ has for you, then take heed to this message today will be ministered to this morning as we examine Jesus' love for us, and we especially look at the patience and the care that he delivers to his people. I've titled this morning's message, The Profound Love of Jesus Christ. The Profound Love of Jesus Christ. And it really, as we delve into these nine verses this morning, we'll be amazed at how profound and how awesome is the love of Christ for sinners and for his people. 
Just by way of short review, we locate ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 9. For those of you that haven't been with us on these Sunday mornings, we're walking just verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, through this wonderful book of Acts. It's not the Acts of the Apostles, and it's not the Acts of the people. It really is the Acts of God, and it is the triune God. The Father is very present. The Son in Jesus Christ is very present. The Holy Spirit is very present. But what God is doing in this book is he's showing us the explosion of the Christian church to the world. And we've been walking chapter by chapter through as this journey began in Jerusalem. But after a time, as it began to have some explosive growth and some tremendous growth, it was also met with some tremendous persecution. And so the persecution came to a boiling point in Acts chapter 7 with the murder of Stephen, who became the first Christian martyr. Acts chapter 8 then traced the scattering of the church beyond Jerusalem. But simultaneously, as the church was scattered, as people were fearful because of the persecution, the gospel also began to spread because wherever these Christians landed is where they began to tell people there about Christ. And so the very scattering of the church also became the spreading of the church and the spreading of the gospel to regions surrounding Jerusalem and beyond. We pick up this morning in Acts chapter 9. There is yet further aggression against the gospel. There's yet further aggression to persecute the church wherever it is. We'll again be introduced to a young man named Saul. Saul's likely in his mid to late 20s. He's a zealous man. He tremendously believes everything that he is doing is accurate and right. He, believe is be, he believes he is pleasing God by doing what he's doing, and yet he's woefully wrong in what he's doing. How is Christ going to treat him? Is Christ going to cast him out? Is Christ going to annihilate him for being wrong, even in his zeal to the point of putting Christians in prison? and even overseeing some of their executions? How is Christ going to deal with public enemy number one of the church here in Acts 9? This is where we begin to see this morning this profound love that Jesus Christ has towards sinners. I invite you with me to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. As we look at this profound love of Christ, we have to first say this, that part of that profound love, an aspect of that profound love, is that Christ's love is very profound in its patience. It is patient with sinners. We're even told in the book of Romans that it is the patience of God that leads men to repentance, that God doesn't just zap us at the first sight of wrong and sin, but he bears patiently and he does so here with this young man named Saul. Look with me in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether they be men or women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now we'll stop here for just a moment. This is the fourth time Saul is mentioned by name. And as you may already be familiar and know, this Saul later becomes the Apostle Paul, whom we know wrote so many of the New Testament letters. But here he is not a Christian. He is not a Christ follower. In fact, all of his anger and all of his abilities are aimed at wiping out the church and wiping out the followers of Jesus Christ. We can say that he's definitely not slowing down in his zeal. His number one goal is to exterminate the church. His very life breath is full of threats and murder. It's become his mission to hunt Christians as though they were some kind of animal to be rid of. That has become his life mission, his life goal. He's unleashed a flurry of damage to Christians in Jerusalem, and now he sets his sights even beyond Jerusalem, and he's heading to this town named Damascus. Damascus was the ancient capital of Syria. It was located about 140 miles north of Jerusalem. So maybe just in geography, in terms of Illinois here, this would be from our location here to maybe somewhere up in the Rockford area, about 130 or so miles away. This is where Damascus was laying. It was a substantial city. It had a population of about 150,000 people. More importantly, it was home to tens of thousands of Jews that had been displaced there. So when the scriptural text says that he was getting letters to the synagogues, plural, there could have been hundreds of synagogues throughout the city of Damascus holding these smaller congregations all over the city. Saul sets his sights on this influential town. He secures permission in the form of these letters to go there and to screen all of these synagogues. And if there's anyone there who professes the name of Christ, he's going to drag them back to Jerusalem and have them imprisoned and put on trial. It was his intention to sniff out any Christians and bring them back for a proper hearing. Now, verse 2 has an interesting phrase here. Don't you like the description of Christianity that's given here in verse 2? It says that he wanted to do this so that if, any, if he found any belonging to the way, the way, as Christianity was first known, it was known as the way. You know, born into this world, we are sinners without direction. We are aimless and our destination is an eternity without God who created us. But the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, changes all that. And he provides his followers with the way. Now, just as an aside for a moment, I, I can't help but think and wonder what the mindset of the early church here might have been. I, I wonder if they fell victim a little bit here to their circumstances, feeling hopeless and wondering 
if, if fatalism was just going to take its course, that this Saul that had been ravaging the church was going to continue to do this very thing, nothing was going to stop him because nothing was going to intervene and nothing was going to take place to put this at halt. But that is not the case. Jesus Christ was the leader of the way. Saul had his own way that he thought was going to take place. But even as scripture says, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And so here's Saul thinking he's got a way to do something. He runs into the way. And here is where Christ begins to intercede on behalf of his church. Let's pick up here in verse 3. We'll continue reading verses 3 through 5. And we're looking at this profound patience that Jesus has even with a sinner like Saul. Verse 3 says this, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul is about to reach the city of Damascus when Christ suddenly intervenes. He suddenly and powerfully intervenes in what is taking place. That this light flashed from heaven was not a bolt of lightning. It was not a surge of the sun's rays. It was the brilliance of the glory and the presence of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, this was the brilliance of the glory of Christ on full display. And it was a flash that was brighter than the sun. It was so bright, it was so stunning that it overwhelmed Saul and he fell to the ground. Now, I've got a slide here showing an, an artist's depiction. You know, this scene has become the most popular conversion in all of Christian history, and it is the conversion of Saul. And so painters and artists have taken up opportunity to try to render the scene as they might have imagined it in their minds. This one here is from an Italian painter in the early 1600s. We really have no idea if this is exactly the way that this took place or not, but it has certainly captured the imaginations of Christians down throughout the ages. You know, Saul didn't just fall to the ground. He heard a voice, and it was the voice of the resurrected and living Jesus. Christ plainly tells him here in verse 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, what strikes me most in all of this is the profound patience that Jesus displays towards Saul. Let's think about this for just a moment. Saul has been ravaging the church. He's been threatening and murdering Christ's choice servants. He's been killing Christians. And instead of meeting him with fire and brimstone, Jesus engages Saul with questions and conversation. 
the overwhelming kindness and goodness of Jesus towards his enemy here is astounding. Why didn't the Lord just wipe him off the face of the earth? Because he showed him great love. And he showed him great love in the form of his patience. Here's just an interesting question that I think we can stop for a moment and consider. How can you or I ever doubt Christ's love for us? How can we get into the mindset that wondering if we've ever sinned so greatly or sinned so many times that Christ's love can't reach us when here the love of Christ reached all the way to the church's enemy number one, the one who was trying to exterminate the followers of Christ. Christ, Christ reached down not to annihilate him, but to save him to convert him. This was the great love with which Christ loved his enemy in Saul. Now, I want to take us back through verses 4 through 5 for a moment so we don't miss another profound truth here of Jesus. We're noticing his patience. This is true. This is a profound love of God displayed in Christ's patience towards Saul. But there's a second aspect here as well. There's a profound love of Christ in his union with his people. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Uh, did you catch these references that Jesus is making towards the church? These are references that Jesus is making towards his people. He asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? He then tells Saul, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this is an astounding statement. Beginning back in chapter 7, it was a man named Stephen whom Saul helped kill. Not Jesus, right? Then in chapter 8, it was a bunch of unnamed people whose homes Saul had begun entering, kicking in their door, arresting them, rounding them up, and putting them in prison. These were unnamed people. These weren't Jesus, were they? Now he is hoping to engage some of these citizens in Damascus and drag them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison. These aren't Jesus. These are just some people living in Damascus. All of this is what was taking place on the surface of things. Oh, but on a deeper level, something far more profound is happening here. When Saul is touching these Christians, he's touching their Lord. When Saul is, is battering the church body, he's battering their Lord. Such is the deep and inseparable union that Christians have with Christ. And brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded of this today. What happens to the church of Jesus Christ 
happens to Jesus Christ. If any and all of our sorrows and sufferings, Jesus feels and Jesus knows them because we are united together with him. In our sorrows and our sufferings, he knows them. He experiences them. There's a song that captures this idea when it simply says in its lyrics, Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know that my Savior cares. And we see it here, bound up in these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when you touch my people, you are touching me. You know, grabbing hold of this profound truth that we are united together with Jesus Christ, it it turns our fears into courage. It turns our doubts into assurance of care. It can turn our loneliness into comfort, knowing that what we experience, we are not on an island. And Jesus is not some far-off, untouchable God, but he loves us. And he knows and he feels. Well, what a profound and lovely truth this is. You know, on a human level, we could scratch this in maybe a small way. You know, as a parent, if one of your children is sick or gets injured, you can almost have as though it were a sympathetic pain feeling what they feel. If you have a friend or a close loved one that is going through something profound and deeply painful, you can in a sympathetic way feel what they feel on some level. But that comparison isn't even close to what is being taught here in Scripture, and that is this, that when the body of Jesus Christ suffers, when the body of Jesus Christ has sorrow, Christ feels it and takes it on his own because we are united together with him. What a beautiful truth. We can't just let that slide by us here because Christ is dealing with Saul. He's also gathering his church unto himself and protecting her. What a beautiful picture. We have one last aspect we're going to be looking at here in these final few verses, verses 6 through 9. There is this profound display of love by Christ in the conversion of Saul, but it is profound in its patience, it's profound in its union, and then finally we see here it is profound in its mercy. It's profound in its mercy. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. Jesus tells Saul, rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. What a scene this was. From verse 6 on to the end there in verse 9, Saul is now under the orders of a new captain. 
He's under the orders of a new Lord. Saul no longer is going on his way, as it said in verse 3. He's no longer doing what he wants to do. He has come face to face with the glory of the risen Savior, and he's been soundly converted. Everything is different. He heard the words of the living Christ resurrected. Now, his traveling companions have a different experience. The light they also saw, the voice they also heard, but they did not see any person, the Scripture tells us, but Paul did. They took orders from Saul and led him by the hand for the rest of the way. They bring him into the city of Damascus. And then we have this statement here in verse 9. For three days, he was without sight. His eyes were open, but he could see nothing. He was blinded by the flash of brightness, the glory of Christ. What a roller coaster of thoughts those three days must have been. We can only speculate here, but I suppose Saul replayed all of the persecutions that he had been involved with in his mind over and over again. No doubt he rethought all his interpretations of the Old Testament and Messiah, and he was probably thinking, how did I miss it? How do I know the Old Testament scriptures so well, but I missed the coming Messiah? And he likely wondered of the future of what all this would mean for Christianity and for the church. But most of all, most of all, I've got to believe that Saul was overcome by the profound grace and mercy that Christ had displayed towards him. For one thing, it was this Damascus Road experience that Saul retells himself over and over again in the book of Acts. We'll see when we come to Acts chapter 22 and again in Acts chapter 26, Paul at that time then now begins to retell this conversion story over and over. It had a profound impact on him. But most importantly, maybe this, listen to Paul himself writing later in 1 Timothy chapter 1 as he describes the profound mercy that Christ had towards him and how it changed everything. He writes this, the saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And there we have it. Jesus. This text is really about him profound in his love. 
not annihilating his enemy here in Saul, but converting him. The risen Christ changes everything for Saul. And in doing so, we have these profound textures of the love of Jesus on display. It is a patient love. It is a patient love beyond measure. It is bonded and unified with us so intimately that what is done unto us is done unto him. And it is a merciful love that spares us what we deserve and instead blesses us with forgiveness and worship. This is the beauty of the Christ we proclaim, brothers and sisters. This is a good word from the Lord for us today. Next week, we'll pick up the story of how the word begins to spread that Paul has landed in Damascus, but he's not there to do what you think. He's come for an altogether different purpose. We'll pick this story up next Sunday in Acts chapter 9. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the descriptions and the demonstrations that we see of the depth and the profundity of the love of Christ for sinners and his church. Lord, I pray that if there be any who are here today that are doubting the care of Christ for them, that those words, this has been done unto me, ring in their hearts and they feel a, a closeness and a comfort with Christ like never before, knowing that that union is inseparable. Then Lord, for anyone who is here today that is wondering if Christ could love them or if they are too far gone a sinner or too deep in their sin, that this story today of Saul being loved by Christ, being loved eternally, being loved to the point of change might allow them to open their heart to Christ and trust him for the first time. Lord, we thank you for the truths of your word, how they feed our souls. May it nourish us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.